I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to a mini-episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Seb Patrick, which might be confusing for regular listeners who are expecting to hear our host Joe Cunningham on these minisodes. Uh, but Joe's on a break from the podcast at the moment. In fact, by the time you listen to this, he should already have got married to his lovely wife Laura, uh, unless Hayley Atwell intervened at the last minute. Uh, and he'll be on his way to a honeymoon destination so jealousy-inducing that I'm not even going to mention it. Um, but before he left, Joe did give us his thoughts on the comics that James and I recommended at the end of our Spider-Man 2 episode a couple of weeks back. Now, if all had gone to plan, we would have put this minisode out before our Suicide Squad episode last week, uh, but he didn't, so you're getting it now instead. Um, I'll do a quick run through the news that Joe would have covered if he was still in the country before handing over to him for his pre-recorded reaction to those comics, which were Spider-Man, Web of Death and My Uncle, My Enemy. Uh, So without any further introductory rambling, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past few weeks. Now, the obvious place to start, although we don't want to spend too much time going over it again, given how long our podcast on the film was only last week, uh, is with Suicide Squad. Um, Now, by now, you'll all be aware of the critical reaction to the film, which was somewhat less than stellar. Um, But really, the interesting thing is going to be what effect that reaction has on the box office of the film, because it's that, I think, rather than the critical reaction that will very much point to... Uh, the future direction of of where DC takes these films. And despite some pessimistic predictions that the reviews would have a quite significant negative effect on the film, um, as they did with Batman v Superman, where a very strong opening take then dropped off significantly, it seems at the moment like Suicide Squad has slightly better legs. Um, I think we've reached a point where the film could perhaps be described as divisive rather than uh, an outright accepted flop. Um, It certainly has dropped after its opening weekend, but it's already made over $300 million worldwide, and it remains to be seen if that's going to continue and if the film is going to hit sort of Guardians of the Galaxy levels of box office, but it's certainly in a position at the moment where DC may not see it as a flop, in which case it may not necessarily lead to a change in direction for their future films. Um, It'll be worth keeping an eye on, though, because certainly I don't think it's had the absolutely stellar impact that they were hoping for. Uh, And beyond that initial kind of weekend and those those first seven or eight days, 
it's very much up in the air as as to whether it's it's going to have sustained legs. Um, but what it hasn't done is dissuade DC f- and Warners from pressing on with their plans for the DC EU. Um, they have now confirmed that Man of Steel two is going to go actively into production. Um, it's not entirely clear when it may turn up and how it will fall in relation to the two Justice League films. Although we do know that Superman is going to reappear in Justice League. And I think on recent podcasts, we've, we've, I think we've said all all that we can really say about how we feel about the prospects of future Superman films and, and other films in this franchise, which is that we really don't know what to make of them until we learn a little bit more about who's going to be doing them, what kind of approach they're going to bring to it. Um, it's difficult to be hugely optimistic about a new Superman movie, um, but hopefully actually giving him a solo film of his own may be an attempt to right some of the wrongs of the two previous appearances so far. Um, for me personally, even uh, even as a well-established fan of DC Comics, I'm, I'm finding at the moment that I'm getting a little bit sick of, of hearing about DC's films, um, and I feel like the aftermath of Suicide Squad was maybe a time for them to be a little quieter than they have been. Um, I've, I've noticed that Marvel, while Doctor Strange is on the way, have not really been as actively loud about their films, and I think that's going to benefit Doctor Strange when it does turn up. Um, but we'll see. Um, there's there's something very brash and in your face about DC's approach at the moment, and um, at least they have confidence. But I'm 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 not sure if they're necessarily going to take the right lessons away from Suicide Squad. Which, by the way, for anyone wondering, I still haven't seen yet. Um, I was ill all of last weekend, um, and so I haven't had the chance. But um, I don't know if the reviews have persuaded me to actually get out to the cinema to see it or to wait until. Uh, it gets a home release, but um, I'm certainly interested to see it either way, but maybe slightly less interested than I would have been before the reviews came out. Moving over to an area of DC that I am significantly more interested in, and several bits of news relating to both The Flash and Supergirl came out of the Television Critics Association event this last week. Um, actually, the, the probably the most notable piece of news concerns both the shows, which is that they are going to have a crossover musical episode, which I think is something that everybody um, who likes or knows um, Grant Gustin and Melissa Benoist from their previous work was very happy, was very keen to see happen. Uh, we're not sure exactly what form it'll take. Uh, I'm led to believe that it will be mostly pre-existing songs will be worked in rather than actually writing a musical around the characters. Um, let's hope it's anything like the level of quality of the infamous or famous Buffy musical episode. Uh, but that'll be something to look forward to, and I think that, once again, just nicely emphasises the tremendous sense of, of fun and joy that those TV shows have that their movie counterparts maybe don't. Um, We also got some casting news for both shows. Um, On Flash, it's been announced that Grey Damon, a man whose name sounds like it's the wrong way around, will be playing the Mirror Master. Um, That's interesting because, I mean, I think we mentioned Mirror Master on a recent episode because he's really the last of the major Flash rogues not to have appeared yet. Um, unfortunately, they have confirmed that they are going with the original uh, Mirror Master who first appeared in the late 1950s, that is Sam Scudder. Uh, they are not going with McCulloch, who is the Scottish, uh, very heavily Glaswegian version of the character introduced by Grant Morrison in his Animal Man run in the late 1980s. So, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to get to hear the TV version of the character describe the Flash as looking like a refugee Tolly Poker from Kelvin's side. 
Um, I don't know anything about the actor, but I tend not to know much about the actors who show up playing Flash villains until they appear. So um, let's assume that it will be a, a reasonably good take on the character. Over on Supergirl, the announcements have been on what we can assume is the heroic side. Um, the characters of Miss Martian and Monel have both been confirmed to appear. Now, we already knew that uh, Chris Wood was going to play the character that emerged from the pod at the end of Supergirl Season 1, uh, and it was very heavily speculated that that character would indeed be Monel, who is originally a character from early Superboy comics who. Uh, initially appeared and appeared to be another Kryptonian, uh, and hence having the name Monel, uh, before actually turning out to be from a planet called Daxum, and he became a recurring character in the Legion of Superheroes comics, um, and from there I think had quite a strong association with Supergirl as well. So it's not a surprise to see him turn up. It's quite interesting to introduce another character with such a similar power set in the same season that they're also bringing Superman into the show. Um, but I think Monel will be a, a way of having a, a Superman-ish character in it on a more recurring basis than, than Superman himself will be. And Sharon Leal will be playing McGann Moores, a.k.a. Miss Martian. Um, it probably doesn't take a genius, anyone who's been watching the show, to figure out that Miss Martian will be in some way related to Yon Yones, the Martian Manhunter, as played by David Harewood. Um, actually, in the comics, Miss Martian was um, originally she was brought into the Teen Titans series uh, around 10 years or so ago. Um, she's actually a white Martian, which is a, a separate race of Martians uh, created by Grant Morrison during his JLA run. Um, the basic premise is that um, green Martians like Yon are peaceful and sympathetic and white Martians are the kind of aggressive, warmongering side of the, the species. Um, but Miss Martian actually, when she first appeared, um, kind of appeared with green skin pretending to be another green Martian um, and has continued to have that form even after being revealed to be a white Martian. So I would imagine, obviously, she'll play into David Harewood's um, Yon Yon's slash Hank Henshaw character in some way. Um, what I, I think what I like about these two casting announcements is that it seems to be a move towards giving Kara a group of similarly aged hero characters. Um, I almost wonder if, in much the same way as we're getting the Justice Society over in Legends of Tomorrow, could we be pushing towards a Teen Titans sort of group in Supergirl? Um, I think that would be a pretty good thing if so. It's a shame that due to the, the right situation with Gotham, we presumably can't have a Robin in there somewhere, but that would be nice. And finally, some news that's just been coming in uh, just before I record this. Well, a, a rumour rather than news, but um, there's been talk around the casting for Deadpool 2, which, as we know, is going to feature the character of Cable. And a slightly surprising name is being linked, um, which is that uh, Kyle Chandler, um, who I think is best known from Friday Night Lights, um, but also movies like Argo and Super 8 and Wolf of Wall Street, uh, could well be in line to play Cable. Um, it's an interesting one. I could see it. He's a good actor. Um, it's. I mean, it's hard to know exactly what direction they will go in with Cable in the Deadpool movies anyway. Um, but if 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 he were to get that gig, I'd, I'd be cautiously optimistic about it. Um, the same rumour also suggests that Mackenzie Davis could be up for the role of Domino who is a character that's very heavily associated with Cable uh, and with X-Force generally. Um, and I think in both of those cases, they would seem to continue uh, the Deadpool movie's interesting take on on casting and, and character choice. So 
Um, yeah, it's, these are very much take with a pinch of salt rumours at the moment floating around certain websites, but um, it would be interesting to see those if they came off. Um, I do still need to get around to actually finally seeing Deadpool, by the way, but um, don't tell anyone that because I might have to hand in my nerd card. Okay, so that is about it for the comic book movie news. I'm now going to hand over to Joe of a couple of weeks ago as he gives us his thoughts on the comics that we recommended coming out of Spider-Man 2. So you'll get a little sting and then take it away, Joe. Um, and so between Seven James last week, I had um, seven issues recommended to me. So those were... Um, six of those were from The Amazing Spider-Man. Um, 130 and 131, those were from Jerry Conway and Ross Andrew. Um, there was uh, the Web of Death arc, which spans between The Amazing Spider-Man and The Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, the Amazing Spider-Man issues are from J.M. DeMattis and Mark Bagley, whereas The Spectacular Spider-Man issues from Tom DeFalco and Bill Sienkiewicz. And then The Amazing Spider-Man 400, which actually only comes a couple of issues. There's only one missing issue between the end of the Web of Death arc and The Amazing Spider-Man 400. Um, and that is also from J.M. DeMattis and Mark Bagley. Um, and I kind of wanted to introduce those all in one go because there was there was something that struck me reading um, these the Spider-Man issues that um, I guess I haven't got from a lot of other comics and this may be, it may be the case for some comics, it may be the reason that um, Seb um, and James love particular comics, uh, but for me this felt like almost... Um, a soap opera that I was digging into at different times, almost like it was like EastEnders or Coronation Street. And these, this, I was, you know, dipping into a couple of episodes from 1975 or 1992. And, um, you know, I can dip in and I can kind of pick up what's going on and enjoy the particular story. But they're all talking about stuff that's happened at different points. Um, and there's like, oh, this happened in such and such issue, and that happened in such and such issue, and this kind of relates back to this thing. Um, and that certainly felt like the case when I got onto Wikipedia and looked um, looked to try and get, a, for about the millionth time, a better idea of what the hell was going on in the Clone Saga. Um, but it, it did strike me that Spider-Man very much seems like a soap opera, um, and one that is a, a continuous story that's happening. Um, and I guess I haven't had that from many of the comics that I've been reading kind of um, current present day comics. They feel like, um, you know, new arcs or new takes on a character or but this there's something about the Spider-Man and maybe it is that that continuous numbering um, for, for those first 700 issues. But um, that feel like they're all part of the same ongoing storyline. Um, and so uh you know there is a reference from dr octopus in the web of death arc that references something that happened in the amazing spider-man 130 131 um that uh that was one of the other recommendations um and uh yeah it was just it was neat seeing different characters you know 250 issues apart in a in a comic book series but feeling like they were the same characters and that they tracked and having an idea of who you know like where Spider-Man was, where Peter Parker was in his life at any given point in this. Um, and I'm sure Spider-Man can't be the only comic that has that sense, but um, for me, it's certainly the one that, 
that it struck me the most about and it was it was a fun little experiment because i read these chronologically i read the i read the oldest issues first and obviously on previous podcasts i've had other recommendations from here and there in the arc um but especially because these kind of concerned the same characters in the different arcs it was very much peter parker mary jane dr octopus aunt may they were the the kind of the core cast here um, I don't think I saw any Joni Jameson. Um, it was post Gwen Stacy. Um, there wasn't. There was uh, one flash of Harry Osborn, but he was already dead at this point. Um, but yeah, so those four characters very much felt like the core cast across um, across these kind of sprawling seven issues of Spider-Man comics. Um, so I will start off um, actually digging into the specifics with. Um, those um, first two amazing Spider-Man issues, 130, 131, and I believe this was James's recommendation, and this is where Doctor Octopus for um, sorry married Aunt May um, as part of a villainous scheme, um, and it was very hard when reading these not to wish that I had read everything before and after. Um, so, like, w- w- particularly in these two issues. Um, there are little notes here and there saying, oh, this happened in Amazing Spider-Man 23 and this happened just two issues ago or this happened 50 issues ago. Um, and so all of all of that was kind of just making me go, oh, I kind of wish I had all of the context. Or when people are talking about, oh, you know, uh, give Peter a bit of time. It wasn't that long ago that his girlfriend Gwen Stacy died. Um, and yeah, so I... I I did kind of wish that I had just read Spider-Man from issue one going forward, as I'm sure, as I'm sure Seth and James have at some point. I'd be surprised if they had any missing issues in their Spider-Man reading. Um, but yeah, this this particular issue, um, there is a plan that is going on that has been apparently has kind of uh, been bedded a lot further back. There has been a, a character who's been murdered that is at the heart of this. Um, of this villainous plot except the plot is kind of lots of um there's kind of double crosses here there and everywhere a little bit like um superior spider-man not to that sorry superior spider-man the superior foes of spider-man which was nearly a podcast recommendation um nowhere near as many um crosses and double crosses as uh, as in that comic but still quite a few because dr octopus is kind of the main villain but there is hammerhead that is around as well who kind of feels like he he is being betrayed by Dr. Octopus to an extent or that they both want the same thing and that um, they both want to beat Spidey, but they, they, there's no way that they're sharing um, what their ultimate goal is. Um, and it's implied that it's all kind of being um, controlled by a character called the Jackal, um, who I didn't know a lot about and still didn't after reading all of the other comics other than um, I went on Wikipedia and it sounds like he was at the... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Center of what kind of was the start of the clone saga, um, the like original clone saga back in this Jerry Conway era. Um, and so... Um, this was very much me feeling like I was dipping into a couple of episodes of a TV show that I didn't have the context of um, around it, but was still very much enjoying everything that was going on. It just felt like a fun little adventure romp. Um, it felt like it was doing all the stuff I wanted in terms of classic era Spider-Man uh, with his um, with his fun little quips and good action fight scenes and... Um, characters telling their motivations and or, or like explaining the action to the other character to help you out as a reader. There's a, there's a great bit where Spider-Man is fighting Dr. Octopus um, and Dr. Octopus has slammed him into the ground and he says, uh, you've spoken too often and you've said too much. Now, Spider-Man, I'll have revenge for the countless times you... And then we get a dot, 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 Urk! and Spider-Man says, ah, poor Oki. Thought you'd crush me into the ground, didn't you? Pity you forgot one thing, Octopus. My spider strength. As soon as I touched the ground, I had the leverage I needed to upset you. And I hope I have upset you, Oki. At least as much as you have upset me. Um, and <laughs> I thought that was really fun. Um, that's something that you don't see in comics anymore, but it was something that reminded me it was kind of there in the Master Planner saga as well when that was a previous recommendation, Spider-Man kind of talking through um, his action beats. Um, but the thing that Dr. Octopus had obviously done to upset Spider-Man was um, marry Aunt May. And it turns out that the reason that Dr. Octopus was marrying Aunt May was because she had inherited a Canadian island that had a very rich supply of uranium um, and was also one of the world's most sophisticated nuclear breeding reactors. Um <laughs> So I'm not sure quite how Aunt May ended up getting left this in her will, um, or maybe what she'd have planned to do with it with without Dr. Octopus coming along, um, or even what she did with it after the story. But thankfully, Spider-Man saves the day. Well, actually, I say that. I know what happens to the island after the story, because the story ends with Hammerhead running at Dr. Octopus um, to hit him with his hammerhead. Um Dr. Octopus moves out of the way, but uh, Hammerhead run, runs straight into the nuclear reactor, which, um, you know, leads to a big old nuclear explosion. Um, and I've no idea what happened after that, but that was... Uh, I'm not quite sure how Dr. Octopus would have survived that, but he definitely did, because he's around in the Web of Death story arc um, some probably 20, 30 years later. So, um, 
Yeah, that was... <laughs> it, it all seemed suitably kind of bonkers and superhero soap opera-ish. And um, I had a very good time reading it. And like I say, I'd, I would be tempted at some point just to just to read all of The Amazing Spider-Man the entire way through. I think that was one of the um, stretch goals we put on our Patreon. If we reached a ridiculous amount of uh, donations per month, we would launch a spin-off podcast where we work our way through all of The Amazing Spider-Man. Um I think it would be very time consuming, but it would be a very fascinating project to undertake. Um, because, uh, yeah, this, this, like I say, it's a character who feels, uh, a character in a story which feels like it tracks. Um, I'll move on now to the Web of Death arc, um, which um, I think probably just by virtue of being a comic from uh, 20, 30 years after, after the, uh, the other issues, um, was a little bit more a little bit more sophisticated in its storytelling and having kind of characters with more rich emotional lives. Um, it's all taking place kind of in the background of the clone saga, so I kind of had that stuff going on in the background. Did a little bit of googling again to try and get my head around it a little bit more. Um, I think I understand the clone saga more than I used to, um, which is that there is a character called Kane who was an original clone of Peter Parker who went wrong, uh, but is out there kind of as like a man in the shadows throughout this story. Um, and uh, you can't really tell whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, or maybe a good guy who does bad things, possibly. Um, but so Kane is kind of like an early clone of Spider-Man who went wrong. There is also Ben Riley, who is the Scarlet Spider, um, who is kind of, uh, he is a clone of Peter Parker, but he had been living his life as Ben Riley, um, because there was an earlier clone saga in the comics where Peter met his clone, and that's where Ben Riley came from for this kind of 90s clone saga. Um, so he'd been living his life under the pseudonym of Ben Riley and kind of comes back into things at this point, um, and he's different from Spider-Man because he wears a hoodie over his costume, um, and um, from from what I could tell from Googling, um, and I'm sure this will be highly amusing to anyone who understands the Clone Saga or has uh, has any any more any deeper knowledge than I do. But that what I could understand was that uh, Peter and Ben Riley were being constantly manipulated by a number of different characters, and the comics peeled away who that manipulation was coming from at various stages. And I think it sounds like they just kind of made up as they went along who was actually behind the Clone Saga stuff. Um, but they'd been led to believe at some point, I think probably post this, that Ben Riley was the original clone, was the original, and that Peter Parker was the clone. And so that's why Ben Riley ended up being Spider Man for a little bit, and Peter Parker kind of semi retired. Um, he also finds out in in this story arc that Mary Jane is pregnant. Um, so there is very much a focus on that as well in his uh, in his personal life. Um, but that eventually we find out that Peter was the original. Um, like I say, I think all of this goes back to the Jackal um, again, who was in that first story um, as as him being kind of at the center of creating the clones. Um, but it turns out that Peter is the original, um, but that this had all been um, a plan of uh, Green Goblins, who at this point is believed to be dead, Norman Osborn, Norman Osborn, but is not and has been manipulating the clone saga the whole way through. That's what my Google Wikipedia research told me. Um, this story kind of takes place in the middle of all that, and 
Spider-Man has been infected with a virus during a fight with Vulture, I think. He is having kind of weird flashbacks to kind of like having uh, kind of like Matrix style being in like a body of water with tubes sticking out of him as if he's been kind of grown in there. Um, so maybe some kind of implanted memories suggesting that he is a clone himself or maybe he's sharing memories with um with Ben Riley or with the other clones um it wasn't fully explained what that was um but Spider-Man is dying and uh, Doc Ock is upset that Spider-Man hasn't been acting his usual self recently um and so the bulk of the story is concerned with um Spider-Man this virus is killing him and Doc Ock takes it upon himself to save Peter Parker Spider-Man's life because he has always seen um, Spider-Man as kind of like his opposite and his equal and almost in a way the man that he wants to be, the man that he could have been, um, which is nice, which really reflects the kind of uh, the themes that we were talking about in Spider-Man 2. Um, but I liked the idea that Doc Ock was kind of aware that he was this this kind of very intelligent man who took a dark path and that spider-man um is a kind of person he wants to have around he says at one point um he is a vibrant intelligent opponent so full of life and humor um and now it seems he's become a grim humorless thug so he understands that something has been affecting him recently um and that um and basically he wants he he is embracing what he is which is this master villain but that he wouldn't be complete as a master villain without Spider-Man to do this constant, endless dance of heroics and villainy with. Um, and so Doc Ock is um, with uh, this uh, ridiculously blonde-haired, big-breasted, scantily-clad um, villain called Stunner, um, who looks like um, Pamela Anderson in Baywatch, kind of dialed up to 11 with big muscles as well. Um, and um, <laughs> they are kind of in a relationship and they are kind of working together to A, save Peter, but B, um, kind of... Uh, uh, well, eventually Doc Ock will turn himself into the police so that Spider-Man doesn't have to fight him when he is ultimately saved um, because he knows that Spider-Man won't be ready for that fight yet um, and Stunner is going to help save him. Um, and this it, it weaves between this uh, this Doc Ock stuff and also the personal life stuff with um, Peter Parker finding out that Mary Jane's pregnant, um, Aunt May has just had a stroke and she's in hospital. So it's the, kind of that classic Peter Parker personal life stuff, but also, you know, life or death heroes and villains stuff going on in the background as well. Um, and um, it, it comes together really nicely with... Um, kind of Peter having to trust Dr. Octopus to bring him back to life and kind of, yeah, does put his put his life in Doc Ock's hands to an extent. Um, um, and then, as I said, Doc Ock lets him go. Uh, but Doc Ock is attacked by Kane at the end of the issue, who um, seemingly kills Dr. Octopus. Um, and I, I don't know how long that stuck for or whether he was actually dead here, but um, it's... Uh, it's a pretty harsh ending to the comic because it's it's one of those over this over these issues you are kind of uh, 
you're drawn to you're drawn to this guy as um, having more shade than just your your general run of the mill villain. You kind of you don't want to see him die. Uh, you don't want to see him taken off the board in this way. Um, so uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this as just something that felt like a classic Spider-Man story with that with that balance between his personal life and and the superheroics, and elevated by the fact that this is a really fantastic look at Doctor Octopus, who um, who has some complexity here. Um, so uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed that, and um, then essentially just taking one issue off after that, which is issue 399, um, and then jumping back in with The Amazing Spider-Man 400, which is a double-length issue, and um, this is uh, Peter at the start of the issue rushing to um, the hospital to find out that Aunt May has come out of her coma and seemingly is going to be alright. Um, and so he is that he then takes her out of hospital and is able to spend some time with her. Um, it's all linking back in more to the clone stuff as well because Ben Riley is hanging around and kind of um, agrees with Peter that he is going to leave because he must be the clone and that there's there's no need for him to be here anymore so he's going to leave the city and leave Peter to his life because it's just too difficult to have Peter Parker's memories but kind of not be able to live his life um, so Ben Riley leaves and Peter is able to spend some quality time with Aunt May and she finds out that Mary Jane is pregnant um, and um uh, then Peter takes um, Aunt May to the top of the Empire State Building and she tells him that she knows he's Spider-Man um, and that's a really nice moment between these two characters um, this really heartfelt moment where she kind of tells him how proud she is of him and that um, how proud Uncle Ben would have been and that um, uh, it's, it's just a really sweet moment but then she kind of she kind of her health takes a turn for the worse and she says that she has basically accepted uh that what she has just had was a gift it was a gift to kind of spend seven more seven more days with the people she loved and now she is she's going to die um and she does um and it's really sad and so aunt may dies obviously Sev explained that this wasn't actually the case um later in the day but it um all the emotions ring true in this particular issue without any of that kind of other knowledge clouding things um but ben riley is back in the background um and we find out that a murder has been committed and peter is framed for it and he's arrested at the wake of aunt may um and the implication seems to be that it was ben riley that's framed him for it and uh maybe this is the point at which ben riley takes over as uh as spider-man or as the scarlet spider uh yeah and there's there's some there's some really nice stuff uh linking back to the previous weather death story at one point in there peter thought he died um and kind of speaks to aunt may who's kind of in her coma at the time and he's kind of this ethereal form at that moment and um she says um it's a bit like Peter Pan. Do you remember the story you used to love when you were a kid? And you, you know, if you want to move on, you need to uh, fly on to the um, second star to the right and straight on until morning. And Peter repeats that refrain here as Aunt May dies in bed. Um, 
so yeah, it was um, it was a, a really nice issue just for those two characters, um, and uh, it it was a nice little follow up from the from that previous story that um, Seppard recommended, um, and it actually showed me Ben Riley for the first time, which was nice, which um, made things slightly more comprehensible when I did go and do some googling around to find out what was going on with the clone saga um and yeah I feel at least slightly less confused by that whole thing now even though reading the wikipedia page it sounds like you could spend hours and hours and hours trying to get your head around the entirety of it and uh, and still maybe not succeed but maybe I will get there eventually um, but yeah, so um, seven very enjoyable issues of Spider-Man this week, um, and yeah, uh, I would I would recommend it all. Um, and you know, maybe maybe some point I will go back and read all of the Amazing Spider-Man. That I imagine that will be a massive undertaking if and when I do. Thank you, Joe. Um, so that is about it for this week's show. Uh, next week we'll be back with an episode that the three of us pre-recorded before Joe went away and if you listen to the end of our Suicide Squad episode you'll already know that that one is going to be on Tim Burton's 1992 film Batman Returns. After that we're hoping to fill the gap with one or two specials uh, we can't promise at this stage but we might get around to reviewing season one of Preacher uh, and then when Joe comes back he'll do what he has decided to call a Megasode, catching up on the Suicide Squad and Batman Returns comics recommendations and then finally, in September, we will hopefully get back onto a normal schedule again. Um, but if you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating or review on iTunes, or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematicuniverse. And if you're already a Patreon supporter, um, then we'll be in touch with you soon about potentially organising some kind of meetup at the Thought Bubble Festival, which is happening in Leeds uh, on the first weekend of November, uh, as at least two-thirds of the team are going to be at that convention. Um, it's pretty much on Joe's doorstep. Um, and so if any of you are also going, it'd be nice to catch up with you, uh, but we'll tell you more about that in in due course. You can find more episodes of the show at cinematicmultiverse.com along with articles about comic book movies including a recent post where I've tackled the question of whether or not there are too many superhero movies at the moment um, which there aren't but I've attempted to actually justify that view. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, on Twitter at cu underscore podcast or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.